0: Hey folks, thanks for checking out Missio Church in Air, Iowa. You are listening to audio recorded at our Sunday morning service. If you'd like any more information on the gospel or would like to learn more about Missio Church, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Missio Mount Air. I invite you to get out your copy of God's Word. Turn to Psalm 103 this morning. Uh, We're going to read the whole text here. It's kind of a long psalm, but uh, I think we can handle reading a large portion, again, of God's Word. But since we are doing that, we're going to launch right into this. So this is Psalm 103. We're going to read the whole chapter here together, the whole psalm together. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not repay us according to our sins, nor re- or not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers That we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works, In all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever. So we're into the new year now. How many, uh, you don't have to show your hand if you don't want to, but how many people still do New Year's rev- resolutions? Like, is that still a thing? I remember being a kid, like, everyone had to do New Year's resolutions. And I don't know that it gets talked about quite as much as it once used to. Um, but if you have New Year's resolutions, I mean, I wonder how many have have you kept up to this point? Like, you know, at the beginning of the year, it's always, we're going to change these certain things. I'm going to set new goals. And and so often, they go by the wayside within the first week. There's no shame in New Year's resolutions. In fact, I don't think there's really even, from my perspective, any shame in failing New Year's resolutions. It's kind of part of the whole package deal. But we all instinctively know The reason why New Year's resolutions, goal setting, I mean I'm not so much a New Year's resolution guy, I throughout the year am constantly trying to reevaluate and set new goals and think about things I want to accomplish and then backwards engineering that to see the steps it takes to get to where we want to go so I'm all into goal setting and all that kind of stuff. But why do we do this? Why, Why is this tradition and desire for New Year's resolution, why does it exist? We all instinctively know that there are things that we should be doing. We desire certain things to be accomplished in our lives. And we know that we currently aren't getting them done. Something's got to happen. We want to see something happen. And the reality is that we strive to create something permanent we we desire to create something of purpose we build for ourselves little kingdoms with our own little castles and our own little progeny and servants and all those our little mission that we're on and i'm not saying any of that is wrong but there is this underlying almost desperation to make our lives meaningful and to make them count for something and i think that honestly is just part of the imago Dei, that we are created in the image and likeness of God. And it's hardwired in us that life does mean something. There is a purpose. There is a point. There is a telos. There is an end that we are working towards. And as little image bearers, we likewise, we want to see our lives mean something. We want to see them count for something. But again, I'm convinced that part of the good of resolutions is the failing of them. (laughs) And I say that because they force us to recognize our limitations. I think it is just as healthy at times to set out 20 goals and fail 18 of them because it brings some humility to you. It brings some uh, self-awareness that all of these things that I want to happen, I am not able to accomplish all that I want to have happen. I'm not big enough to accomplish my own purposes. I'm, I am humbled. I am not enough. And then hopefully by God's grace, having seen your inability, it causes you then to cling to someone who is enough, which is what the psalm is going to point out to us this morning, brings us to our big idea this morning, which is that we are forgettable, but God does not forget his people we are forgettable and i'll get we're going to hopefully stick around we're going to get to how that's actually good news that we are forgettable but god does not forget his people so psalm 103 is the first of four psalms it ends book 4 of the Psalter, um, this, the Psalms, they, they are the hymns of the Old Testament people of God. These are the, what they sang, this is their poetry, this, these are the hymns that they sang. And here at the end of book four, there's five different books that those are broken down into traditionally. But this kind of turns a corner at the end of book four and you, you can read 103, 104, 105, 106 And you can just notice how many times it is bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord over and over again. This call to praise and to worship God. There's this repeated refrain even through this Psalm 103 of blessing the Lord. It's a song to bless Him and right at the beginning. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. There's this call that... We are not to be divided people that I bless the Lord with my Sunday self and not the rest of my life. I I bless the Lord with this certain percentage and I live for myself with the rest of my life. It is all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And then goes on, David makes quite a list of all the blessings that God pours out upon his people. And he returns to the theme at the end, right? We won't go much into verses 21 and 22. But again, this refrain, bless the Lord, the angels, mighty ones that do his deeds, all the hosts, ministers, these supernatural beings, basically places in all of dominion, everywhere is called to bless the Lord. For what purposes? Well, look at the list that David lays out here. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Why? Forget not all his benefits. Forgives all your iniquity. Heals all your diseases. Redeems your life from the pit. Crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Satisfies you with good. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. God forgives iniquity. Heals diseases. And now... The Psalter can get interesting. It might be likely, if you read commentaries on this, that David actually was healed from a disease or something going on, but there is a clear um, understanding that there is a deep sickness, a deep disease that we absolutely need healed from. This is not a guarantee or a promise that every disease will get healed in this life. It is the reality that God does heal diseases and the day does come when we will all be delivered from, the, from sickness and disease and death itself. But we know, that we could go on to why that isn't the case, that it's talking about renewing your youth like the eagles, we all know that David did grow old and did die eventually. And so there's something supernatural or spiritually that is being communicated here that God does forgive all your iniquities. He heals you of all that ails you. He redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, satisfies you with good. So these are the things that God does. And then we see the psalm goes a little deeper. This is what God does because this is who God is. You look at verse 6, God works righteousness. He's the God who works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He's this God who made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. And then there's this quote, basically, from out of Exodus in verse 8, which says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. We bless the Lord not only for what He has done, but for who He is. He is a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. But then to look specifically at verses six through 18, I kind of want to I want to categorize it with this statement for verses six through eighteen, saying this that those who are those who fear him rejoice. They do not get what they deserve, not because they are impressive, but because of his impressive, steadfast love. Those who fear him rejoice. They do not get what they deserve, not because they are impressive, but because of his impressive steadfast love. So as we're looking at the text here, one of the things we try to work on as we're reading our Bibles together is looking for repetition, right? And there's a phrase here that's repeated at the end of verse 11, at the end of verse 13, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love. That's another one you can notice. We've got steadfast love four times here in this psalm, but steadfast love towards those who fear him. Verse 12, verse 13, end of 13, so the Lord shows compassion on those who fear him. It's mentioned twice. The, the comfort from this psalm is not a universal comfort. Um, this is a comfort for those who fear the Lord. It is, a spe- it is a reality, this blessing, this joy, is a reality for a specific set of people, those who fear the Lord. Now this isn't the individuals terrified of God in some way like that, though that kind of fear, it is in there that God uh, can do really impressive, awesome, terrifying things. So there is an element of that to the fear of Lord, the fear of the Lord. But what this means is that those who fear Him by reverence and honor and esteem, those who rightly view Him as the God, the, who is the creator and the sustainer of all things. If you jump back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13, there's just an interesting section there. But God's people are commanded there to fear Him. And the reason that they are to fear Him or how their fe- what their fear looks like is a remembrance of who God is and what He's done in history. Those who fear Him remember what who He is and what He has done. And then they are to forsake all other gods and worship Him alone. Fear the Lord, remembering who He is, what He has done, forsaking all other gods and worshiping Him alone. And what is it that they are called to remember? In Deuteronomy, and I would say likewise as they would read this psalm, what are they called to remember? They're called to remember God's deliverance. If we set this psalm in its context, the perspective from it, the perspective from the book of Deuteronomy, there was a great deliverance, right, for the people of God out of the bondage of Egypt. They were enslaved. They were oppressed. They cried out to the Lord and he delivered them. Moses was raised up, right, and they were led across the Red Sea out into into liberation. They were delivered out of bondage, into the the fulfillment of God's promises towards his people. And historically, this is what happened with the people of God. Now, we on this side of the cross realize that while that did happen historically, it was a foreshadowing. God used real history to foreshadow a greater coming deliverance for God's people. That, That Moses is the foreshadowing of a greater deliverer. And his name is Jesus, who's going to show up and who's going to liberate God's people out of their bondage of sin and death and lead them through the Red Sea, a baptism of sorts, into new life, promise the fulfillment of his blessings. And so, while if you were a Jewish person back uh, uh, pre-Christ, you would have read this and known that the remembrance, the fearing of him is remembering God's work delivering us out of Egypt and to become his people. And then as we take the promised land, we today sitting here know that that deliverance, that fearing of him, and that remembrance of who he is and what he has done is what he has done for us through Jesus Christ. This call, he, um, Lord, is merciful and gracious, does not always chide, keep his anger forever does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities, they would have been astonished that God didn't leave them in slavery, in bondage. They knew their own rebellion. They knew, their, they knew God's promises, but they knew they didn't deserve them. And yet God rescued them out of them. They raised up a deliverer because they cried out to him. We likewise, sitting here, know that God ought to, if, if we are left to ourselves, we have a lot of sin that ought to be dealt with. And we ought to be dealt with according to our sins, according to our iniquities. And yet God does not deal with us on that that account, on those terms. Why? Because he has dealt with Christ. For those who are his people, if you are here and you have turned from your sins and you are trusting in Christ as your substitute, the sins that set against you have now been placed upon Christ such that God does no longer deal with you according to your sins, according to your iniquity. He dealt with Christ. The punishment that we deserve as sinners, those in rebellion against Him, taken away, not being dealt to us according to our iniquities, removing our our transgressions as far as the east is from the west, has been done because of the work of Christ. Christ. And that's really the hinge of this psalm. If you don't see that in the psalm, you're going to miss, you're going to miss all of the, the whole point. Without knowing Jesus and his atoning work, without faith in him as your substitute and savior, the joy of this psalm is going to be lost on you. It doesn't exist. How does God not deal with us according to our sins? Why does he not repay us according to our iniquities? For his people... He has laid their iniquity and their sin upon his son that they might be forgiven and that their sins might be removed as far as the east is from the west. This is exactly what Jesus has done for his people. And for those who who now know this truth and rejoice in it, we fear his name. Look at what God has done. Look at what God, how God has worked. Look at who he is. Look at what he has done to work salvation. I now honor, I, I, I worship no other gods. He alone is worthy of my blessing and my honor and my worship. I fear him. I rejoice in him. Those who fear him rejoice. Why? They do not get what they deserve. And that is something worth rejoicing over. <laughs> that is something worth rejoicing over. Now, this is where the psalm makes my head. I, the, now we're going, I'm like, what is, how this doesn't fit? <laughs> because where we next go to, though we have this great joy of, of God working on our behalf to save us and to rescue us from our sin and transgression and iniquity, where it goes to is that he has done this because he remembers that we are dust. <laughs> dust, not very consequential. And I'm not just hanging here with me, but if you go through your house and you dust, it you aren't you aren't treasuring it up to keep it all for later. You're trying to get it all gone, right? Dust is not a, we're not fans of dust. It's it's and it and it floats around through the air and it lights here and it lands there. It's, he remembers we are dust. This is who we are. We we come and we go. We are the like a grass we flourish like the flower of the field the wind blows over it and it is gone i can tell you i as i walk through all of these yards and towns and it freezes and it thaws a little bit there are places that i know had grass but they don't anymore it's just mud spots you know and that that the grass flourishes up at the right season and then when the season's gone the wind passes over it and it is forgotten this is why i'm so we're in a psalm of praise to god for his great works, and then it goes to because you're so lowly, <laughs> which is where Psalm 138 talks about, God remembering the lowly. God has is, is done this great thing, oh yeah, because you're you're dust, you're the grass, you're the flower that springs up and that wind blows away and this place remembers it no more. Upon, for a psalm of praise, when it speaks about our human reality, it really is not all that exciting and praiseworthy. <laughs> It's just humbling. It just kind of sits us back like, oh, okay. I thought we were going on about how great we are to save us. You know, how great, how great. Let's just talk about everyone's greatness. Upon what is he going to ground the reason for God's compassion towards us? Our lowliness. What the psalm writer is going to do here is what the psalm is going to do is base our joy not upon our greatness, but upon God's greatness. Getting ourselves put in the right perspective. We worship him and not bless his name, because which isn't it good for God to have important people like us praise him? No, we praise him because we're so lowly and he's so deserving of it. He is so deserving of it. And that greatness is further seen and magnified in contrast to our very real Lowliness. And one reason why this is so important is that it is totally against our, our cultural zeitgeist, our cultural spirit of the age. Zeitgeist is a great word, it's fun to say, German zeitgeist, the spirit of the age. It's, it's totally against the culture, the spirit of the age. the spirit of the age, currently we are told by every social media post, by every capitalistic company, by every influencer, we must get to work making our life meaningful. You are so important. You must get to work making your life count for something. Get to work. It's out there. Achievement. Achieve, achieve. Expend every ounce of energy making yourself something because it's all up to you. Fulfillment is out there. Get to work exhausting yourself pursuing it. Maybe it'll be in an occupation or in family status, maybe in a bank account or in your possessions or in the experiences that you have or in your physical appearance. Really, you can decide where you want to place what's going to give you meaning and value, but wherever you decide to put it, put it there and get to chasing. It's up to you. Our world is on an endless search for significance and for permanence, for something to matter. And while this in and of itself is not bad to, to chase, to set goals and to go after things, there is a sense in which it is being made part of the image of God to search after these things. When that significance is attempted to be found, the, uh, the significance of the weight of the world, when that significance, when we attempt to find that significance in the teeny tiny world of ourselves, <laughs> Even the highest level of significance will not be enough. When when the world of significance, when when the search for significance terminates upon dust motes, they are not, thank you, Jennifer, they are not big enough to carry the weight of significance. They're not big enough to carry the weight of significance. Francis Schaeffer says it this way. He says that man is not a sufficient integration point to carry all of the meaning that we are searching for in this world. He's making the observation we're too small. If if the weight of significance lies upon any one of us as an individual, you are too small to carry the weight of all that we want and are searching for in this life. It's a fancy way of saying that we as individuals are not meant to carry the weight of eternal significance in ourselves. Why? Because we are dust. Our days are like grass. We flourish like a flower of the field. The wind passes over us and its place is gone and forgotten. Now, honestly, the way the psalm puts it, if you just cut that little section out, boy, that's that's depressing. (laughs) Boy, that's small. That is is lowly. That is humbling. And if, if you don't see it that way, you probably haven't seen it rightly. It's meant to be. It's meant to be. It is meant to lay us low in this sense of sufficiency inside of ourselves. When you've been laid low by that reality, the smallness of ourselves, when you've been laid low by that reality, that's when you know you've seen it rightly and you're in the perfect position to see what then God offers his people by his mercy and his grace and his compassion then you're able to look and see how great the steadfast love of the Lord is for who? Those who are dust. That he would look upon us and express his steadfast love to the lowly is astonishing. God in his sovereign uh, love and sovereign choice, decided to, to love a dust mote, the one who is gonna spring up and be pretty for a little while and then fade away forever, yes, God's steadfast love is placed upon people just like that. I've been a part of so many conversations lately that really struggling, I don't know if it's just because this is where like my age group is at, you know, with some of my friends, like really struggling with the fragility of life and the permanence of change. You know, when you start losing loved ones, when when friendships break down or just circumstances go on, kids grow up, you no longer have toddlers, but you have, you know, older, wonderful kids in your house. (laughs) You know, and all the difficult, you know, and just the change, the change of all of these things. And it's it's really um, sobering time marches on and so many things we take for granted or think we'll always have they begin to disappear now maybe that's not you maybe that's not your stage of life you're like Darren everything's great right now please listen (laughs) time does march on and and I want to I want all of us to build structures that can handle the reality of time marching on and things do change this is a broken world And we will be disappointed uh, at the things that happen in our lives in various ways. It's not that there isn't good in the world, but it's that in this broken life, things in this world fade, including ourselves. Including ourselves. As you get older and older, you realize I am breaking down and things are fading. That wonderful dream you have, one day it will let you down. Even if you're riding high on them today, any foundation that you are grounding yourself upon outside of the transcendent king and creator of all things, it will fail you. Every foundation that you are grounding yourself upon outside of the transcendent king and creator of all things, it will fail you, even your own self. You will fail yourself. You are dust. You are the grass springing up. So that is what this portion of the psalm is saying and why I think it seems so out of place. Bless the Lord, all his steadfast love. Man, is like dust. He's like a flower that is fading. How can such a low view of our existence be planted in the middle of a song of worship and praise? Because despite the smallness and weakness of God's people, it is not their impressiveness that catches his eye. It is his divine prerogative to love them motivated by nothing but his own choice. There's really three ways we can respond when we come to this realization about ourselves. We can deny it and double down. No, Darren, I am huge. I am meaningful. I am going to give my life significance. Forget that. That's, a, that's, that's hokey. I'm, I'm going I'm to deny it and double down and go after my own self-importance. We can accept it and despair. <laughs> I am a dust moat. Things are never changing. I'm just going to plunge into the desperation and the depression that exists there. Or we can face it and then look outside of ourselves for ultimate purpose, meaning, and fulfillment. The joy of this psalm comes not in avoiding the reality that we are dust, not in pretending like we are creators of meaning and value, but instead by embracing that truth that we are dust, Despairing of our own ability to satisfy and instead clinging to the one who crowns us with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies us with good and that good is himself. Where is the hope when our eyes are opened to the shifting sands of this life and our fading place in it? Our hope is that God's love for his people is Everlasting. We are forgettable. But the good news, God, who is an everlasting, omniscient, all knowing God, he does not forget his people. According to this world, we're absolutely forgettable. You could go down the history of, you know, you try to think about, we've said this, we're a church in the courthouse. We're not the first church in the courthouse. There have been several churches when the founding of Mount Air that were in the courthouse. Do you know any of them? No. I know a few because I know the hit, but, 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 but give a hundred years. If the permanence is of this life, it, it, is, it is fading. It is fading. The shifting sands. Where is our hope? Our hope is that though we are forgettable, God does not forget his people. No matter how small you are, no matter how small your circle is, no matter how shrunken down your life may be, no matter how uh, hard-pressed it may be from all sorts of angles, no matter how full of promise it is, God does not forget his people. Our hope is that God's love for His people is everlasting. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As high as the heavens are above the earth, think about that. How high are the heavens above the earth? It, 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 it doesn't have. There's no way to talk about like how high the heavens are above the earth. The sun is nine million miles from us, or something like that. It's like it's, it's outrageous. I maybe more than that. I maybe admit an understatement, huh? 93 million, okay? I was, I was down by a power of 10. Okay, so <laughs> 93, it's, you know, how high are the heavens above the earth? They're pretty high. So great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. How can we face the future? How can we face 2023 and all the varying up endings of life? It isn't by grounding ourselves in the things of this world. It is staking our claim. The steadfast love of the Lord, As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love towards those who fear him. What are you grounded upon? To be anchored to self is enslavement. It's in bondage that will ultimately fail you. But to be anchored to Christ is liberation. To know and settle yourself in his steadfast love empowers you to not be crushed when life doesn't go the way that you want it to. And it frees you up to enjoy the things of this life because they're not carrying the weight of the world. But you can enjoy them for what they are, the good gifts that he has given you. We may be forgettable on countless fronts, but God does not forget his people. His steadfast love for them is from everlasting to everlasting. He's removed their sins as far as the east is from the west. They are his. He will never forget them or allow them to come to ultimate shame or disappointment. Let's pray. Father, may this truth from your word be not just words we hear or or affirmations or promises that we hear and assent to God. I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, for those who are yours in this place this morning, those who fear you, God, I, I pray that if there are those who don't know you listening to this, that God, they would desire that sort of firm foundation to be found in Jesus Christ alone. And for those of us who do know you, God, I pray that you would once again restore to us the joy of our salvation.